And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West in the most haunted city in the country. Well, this is December 21st. Four days to Christmas. 355th day of the year. Ten days until year's over with. You know, and this been quite a interesting date in history. AD 69, the Roman Senate declared Vespasian Emperor of Rome, last in the year of the four emperors. The uh, 1237, the city of Ryzen is sacked by the Mongol army of Batu Khan. The uh, this day in 1620, Plymouth Colony. William Bradford and the Mayflower Pilgrims land on what's now known as Plymouth Rock in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Eighteen twenty-six, American in Nacogdoches, uh, Mexican Texas, declared their independence, which started uh, what's known as Fredonian uh, Rebellion. This was the first attempt by Anglo settlers to succeed from Mexico. Uh, led by Empresario Hayden Edwards, declared independence from Mexican Texas and created the Republic of Fredonia. This short lived republic um, encompassed the land the Mexican government had granted to Edwards in 1825 and included areas that had been previously settled. Of course, his actions alienated everybody in the increasing hostilities between them and the settlers recruited by Edwards led uh, Victor Blanco of the Mexican government to revoke Edwards' contract. So he didn't really accomplish legally anything. Alrighty. In um, 1913, Arthur Wynn's Word Cross, the first crossword puzzle is published in the New York world. The um, 1919, American anarchist Emma Goldman is deported to Russia. Hope she liked what she found. Well, in uh, 1937, on this date, Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, the world's first full-length animated feature, premieres at the Carthay Circle, a theater. On this day in 1941, a Thai-Japanese Pact of Alliances signed. 1946, an 8.1 earthquake and subsequent tsunami in Nankaido, Japan, kills over 1,300 people and destroys over 38,000 homes. So as you can see, this is the most interesting date in history. You know, we... It's interesting this day and time. You be found no matter where you are. And speaking of that, made an arrangement with Amazon to do a show on uh, Amazon. So there'll be either this show or a version of this show to be found on. All of my uh, books are going to be 
there as ebooks. So, helping out the station and run by my books. I've only got 60 some odd that have been published so far. And uh, when everything is up, there'll be over 80, and my goal is 100. Well, yesterday, we were talking about haunted hotels in Arizona and Colorado. And uh, there's a uh, place called the, well, In Jerome, we have the Ghost City Inn, built about uh, 1890 as a boarding house for lodging uh, metal mine management. This whole area was a major mining uh, operation, and the building has seen many uses over the years. In 1920, the Garcia family bought the home and lived in it until 1959. Now, although most of its life had been spent as a boarding house, the, this Jerome building housed a, a still for a short time, served as an ashram, and then as a restaurant called Maud's. The building went through a major restoration project in 1964, and the current owners have renovated all the rooms in the last three years, making a stay at the Ghost City Inn a unique experience. A little Victorian elegance to have the, the Verde View room and the the rustic feel of a Northwoods cabin in the northern exposure room. The owners have made each room special. The building still carries some of the uneven floors, original beadboard ceilings, so you get that historic feeling. There's a woman's spirit believed to be that of Grandmother Garcia, who's shown herself to visitors in the Cleopatra room. Yes elderly lady who during life lived in what's now the Cleopatra room hated smoking. Those guests who liked to smoke often find their matches and lighters and cigarettes missing during their stay. Other guests reported they felt the spirits especially protective and some reported they feel that she's tucking them in at night. In the northern exposure room a guest reported feeling something invisible touch her face in the early hours of the morning. She then felt something trying to pull the bedclothes off of her. And there have been reports of a male spirit seen wandering around wearing western garb. Maybe he was just looking for a, a date, for lack of a better term. Then in, we got the palace, the Haunted Hamburger. Well, the Haunted Hamburger occupies a building on Clark Street that has sat empty for a number of years. And not a lot's known of its history other than it was once the Wyckoff Apartments in the 20s. No one's really sure of the identity of the ghost, but he or she or it doesn't seem to be evil, more mischievous. When the owner was renovating the building prior to opening, his hammer kept disappearing, forced him to purchase a new one each time. Then one day he comes to work and all three hammers are lying in a very prominent place. Repairman reported a wrench he was using while on top of a ladder simply vanished and reappeared in the kitchen. So if you want an excellent hamburger and a chance to see a ghost, go to the Haunted Hamburger. 
never know what you're going to find. Then we've got the surgeon's house, bed and breakfast. Building a house is a surgeon's house. Was built in 1916 for Jerome's the chief surgeon. Been on the National Historic Registry since 1966, and it has a really rich history. The property on Hill Street in Jerome was originally the George W. Hull Homestead Tract. It was far-sighted and industrious, and obtained what became the town site of Jerome and much of the surrounding mineral rights. When major companies wanted his interest, his price was one million dollars which in those days was an unbelievable fortune. The United Verde Copper Company paid it, and played it, paid it gladly. On the site, the company built a, a new hospital and a virtual mansion for their head physician to live in. Arthur Kelly, who was a noted Los Angeles architect, designed both with arched windows, gleaming stucco, and rich red tile roofs. And, of course, all modern conveniences were included. Used for years as a nurse's residence in the early 30s, the house became home to then-chief surgeon Dr. Arthur Carlson and his family, decorated with the finest. It became a warm, hospitable home. Parties were held to create a diversion for the company's upper echelon from the hard work in this hard rock mining town. When the mine closed in 1953, the house became home for the company's agent and later other Jerome community members. Councilmen, mayors, merchants, geologists, policemen, even the local Jerome postmaster all enjoyed the elegance of this home. Though the house sat empty for a lot of years, it was still inhabited by the ghosts of those who felt this house was a suitable place to spend eternity. One of those is believed to be named Alice. Actually, she was the maid at the house that stood next door to the surgeon's house, but uh, seems to have moved in and assumed the, those same duties in this particular home. Been seen a number of times, always wearing her blue uniform. The owner of the house, the living owner of the house, a lady had reported that uh, she was awoke to see a man wearing a suit and carrying a doctor's bag walk across the master suite and enter the bathroom. A few minutes, he'll reappear wearing pajamas and cross the room where he gets into her bed. Luckily for her, at this point, he usually vanishes. And guests who stayed in the master suite reported seeing a couple dancing about the room before they fade away. So if you want an interesting night where you may or may not get any sleep, I suggest the uh, surgeon's house. Then we've got the inn at Jerome. If you ever wanted to stay in a haunted inn, then the inn at Jerome just might be your place. Located at 309 Main Street, this charming eight-guest room inn has been restored to its original Victorian splendor. Workers at the end talk about a phantom cat that walks the halls and even leaves indentations on the bed where it sleeps. Maids talk about objects being moved by unseen hands. The lariat and lace room, which boasts a step-up four-poster bed and matching barnwood armoire, once had the door-set armoire unexplainably flung off its hinges. One of these ladies of the evening is said to haunt this building located on Main Street. During the Copper Camp's heyday, it was said that more than 120 prostitutes plied their trade in Jerome. One of the madams by the name of Jenny Banters is said to be the richest woman in northern Arizona. And the inn at Jerome is Jenny's former home, and while it's no longer a brothel, she's remained behind. In fact, one of the eight rooms here is called the Spook's Ghost and Goblin's Room. 
Now, Jenny and her phantom cat have frequently been reported in the house. The cat often vanishes before guests can pick her up and loves to brush up against people in the kitchen. And Jenny often moves things about in the kitchen as well and keeps the maid busy by rearranging furniture, moving objects, and rotating the ceiling fan. Each of the eight rooms has its own name and style. And the style of each room is befitting some event. Radios turning on and off at will. Laughter and voices can be heard coming from empty rooms and deserted hallways. Guest personal items moved in the, have been moved in the room. Rooms and hallways have cold spots and at times extremely hot spots. One lady guest came downstairs in the morning stating she'd been in the bathroom with the door locked while she took a shower and loudly heard a man's laughter in that same bathroom. That'd definitely get you to hurry up your shower. The building also has a ghost cat that'll leave its paw prints and curled up impressions on the bedspread. Rub on the ledge of guests in the restaurant and generally has a good time chasing uh, mints from room to room. Impressions of human forms have also been seen on the beds, which would definitely have you concerned about uh, security, I would think. In the Victorian Rose Room, the vase that sits on the lace runner on the dresser flew through the air and crashed to the floor in the hallway. And guests have also reported the strong smell of perfume and even permanent uh, solution flowing through the rooms. Guests staying in the heart room have bolted the door before retiring and were sound asleep when the door opened to allow the light from the parlor to stream into the room. A moment later, the door closed quietly. Well, the, the light had woken them up, and when they checked the door, it was still bolted. Action of locking the deadbolt is a noisy process, so it couldn't have been done without them being aware of it. Then in the kiss and tell room, the armoire doors fly open at will. The wall hangings and pictures are rearranged or placed in the armoire. And during the Jerome home tours of 2000, the door between the parlor and the hallway violently slammed closed six times. No possible way this was caused by the wind or any type of air disturbance. The cherub statue in the dividing wall between the parlor and the stairway is commonly observed turning with no one near it. This is one of the events that was noticed during a ghost hunting group's investigation. Statues facing toward the door leading into the hallway. It's turned facing the opposite direction toward the stairs that are mysteriously moved back to its original position. No one has yet figured out the cause of all this uh, brouhaha. Now, there's some other information I have about the inn at Jerome, as well as the grill building. Now, as I said, the, Jerome, the inn at Jerome has eight guest rooms designed their original Victorian style, popular about 1900. It has a large parlor with a fireplace. The inn's restaurant, the Jerome Grill, offers registered dietitian-approved American cuisine and what's known as heart-healthy cuisine. Breakfast that come with the guest stay are highly rated and recommended by everyone who has partaken. This building, what's known as the Clinksdale Building, was built in 1899, made of poured reinforced concrete. The walls are 18 inches thick, with the idea to make it as fireproof as possible. It's being built on the ashes of a fire-destroyed building. It was the victim of the third fire that hit Jerome. Once the home of Madame Jenny Banters Bordello, a very popular uh, place which uh, earned a pretty penny in its day. 
When the ladies of the night were forced to move off the main street of town, the building was used as a hardware store on the bottom floor, and the upper bedrooms on the second floor were turned into apartments. I mean, since that time, this building has been in continual use. The upstairs rooms and hallways have cold and hot spots, locked doors that open and close on their own, as well as other occurrences that are often attributed to entities that abound in this very haunted building. Madame Jenny Banter was easily the wealthiest woman in town in her era, came active in the building after it was transformed into the inn at Jerome, probably pleased with the renovation efforts. Her favorite room seems to be the lariat and lace room. She's rearranged the furniture and likes to play with a ceiling fan. Been known to move items in the room to places of her choice, much to the annoyance of the maids and the surprise of the guest. She's kind to the maids by turning on the radio as they tidy up the room for the next guest. She likes to keep an eye on the cook in the grill kitchen and lets her presence be known. She's made objects like ice cream scoops fly off their resting place onto the floor if they're not put away properly. Made the cookbooks move by themselves until they fell on the floor. Maybe she was just trying to point out her favorite recipe. And then, of course, it's the Phantom Cat is said to be one of uh, Madame Jerome's uh, pampered pets. Guests and employees and managers of the inn have felt the, the friendly cat uh, rub up against their legs. And its meows have been heard in various areas of the building. Sound of a cat sharpening its claws was heard coming from a shelf located above the doorway as you entered the inn. And this cat's still taking naps on the beds in the guest room. It rolls up in a tight ball, making an indentation on the bed. And uh, on one occasion, witnesses saw the cat appear in the kitchen, ran from underneath the grill around the startled cook's feet and scampered away. Before he got to the exit door, it vanished. And then there's an elderly male ghost that haunts the building. appears to be a friendly, gentle spirit with a sense of humor. He's chosen the inn at Jerome's, his internal retirement home. The spirit was seen by the manager as she walked down the hall past the guest rooms. She described it as a hazy, grayish-colored apparition of an elderly man standing by the window in the room called Pillow Talk looking down at the alley below. Dressed in work clothes from an earlier time and wore a felt hat and been known to laugh at the maids and the inn managers as well as some guests um, who happened to uh, come across him. And after making the bed and straightening and smoothing the pillows and comforter in the room, uh, pillow talk and kiss and tell, the maid would leave for a moment and when she came back she'd find the indentation of a human body on the bed. Immediately redid the bed only to find the same indentation when she checked that room again. And these two rooms, the doors to the armoire, have a mind of their own, as I mentioned earlier. And there's also the spirit of a grumpy male ghost, said to be an entity with some issues. Maybe he isn't too pleased with the renovations of uh, the inn at Jerome and the grill restaurant. I mean, no matter what you do, there's always a critic. He gets his chuckles by startling a living. I mean, never does seem to hurt anybody. He likes to hang out in the upstairs area. And some of the things that has caused 
that he's caused include a cold wind blowing strongly through one of the guest rooms, actually removing the blankets off the startled guest. At the time, all the windows were closed, so uh, there was no reasonable explanation. While straightening up in the Victorian Rose Room, the maid saw a shadowy apparition of a man move across the room and go behind the door. She immediately went to confront him, and there was nobody there. The uh, smell of roses and sometimes of perfume moves through the Victorian Rose Room, and the water faucet's been known to turn on and off in the sink. At the Jerome Grill, a, a waitress on the early morning shift was alone in a restaurant. Heard a man's footsteps walk up behind her. Thinking it was the cook, she turned around to talk to him. Instead, standing there was the shadow of the apparition that had been seen in the Victorian room, the one with the bad attitude. He was just staring at her with cold, grumpy disapproval with his head cocked to one side. As she screamed, he just vanished. Whistling has also been heard in the bar area of the kitchen. Cook was reaching down to pick up something off a lower shelf on two plastic containers from a high shelf and the preparation area suddenly fell down and hit him in the head. Well, it didn't hurt him. It did shake him up just a tad. And the grumpy ghost likes to eavesdrop on occasion and on conversations in the grill. When a skeptic verbally expressed in, to her group that the hauntings were a bunch of nonsense, a metal sign sitting up on a Ledge above her suddenly flew down with a bang onto the floor. And there have been other Jerome girl hauntings that uh, could mean there are other ghostly residents staying in the inn. Some of these include uh, glasses sitting on tables been known to slide off by themselves with a crash. A waitress in the restaurant's restroom heard a woman singing followed by a loud bang. Of course, nobody outside the restroom heard this. Like entities everywhere, the ghosts that haunt the restaurants are fascinated with electric devices, especially the answering machine. After being turned off, after the restaurant had opened, uh, the machine turned itself on three different times, which must be the annoyance of the waitress in charge of turning it off when she arrived at work. Those who hear an answering machine when they call a restaurant think it's not open. That can cut into uh, business. Then let's go to Kingman, Arizona, the Brunswick Hotel. Originally built in 1909, the first three-story building for counties around. The owners, Mulligan and Thompson, are in the reputation of providing upscale service by using water for crystal stemware and solid brass beds. Hotel Brunswick, even during its formative years, provided guests with full electricity and telephones in every single room. Unfortunately, there was a rift between the parties over a a lady, of course. The cause of the rift between the two partners, eventually married Mulligan, died of an illness and is now believed to be one of the ghosts that haunts the hotel. The wall was built to create two separate hotels, and these separate hotels continue to operate, one side featuring a bar and 25 rooms, and the other way a restaurant and 25 rooms. 1960, Joe Artero bought both hotels and tore down the wall, separating the two establishments. First experience the new owner, Gerald Gordon, had with the ghost of the hotels in room 312. Every time he walked into the room, his hair would stand on end. And they were also continually playing pranks on him. Finally, he put his foot down, told him to stop, and they did. Room 212, the, the ghost of an old gentleman has been seen. It's believed to be the spirit of 
73-year-old W.D. McCrite, who died in that room in 1915. That can be confirmed through the Kingman Daily Mirror for March 13th of that year. In 2002, there's a, I'm sorry, in 2002, there's a ghost that likes to move things about that makes it tough on the housekeeping staff. And then there's the spirit of a little girl who wanders about the hotel, leaving a trail of old pennies in her wake. German couple stayed in room 201 for a time. Woman came to tell the owner that a ghost had tried to pull her out of bed by tugging on one of her legs. And her husband had witnessed this very bizarre occurrence. And the ghost also seemed determined to help Gerald uh, Gerard uh, manage the hotel. One night he was awoken by a sound that led him to a leaking pipe. Had the plumber in to repair this and to check the other for other pro- uh, problems with the uh, plumbing. Major renovation was called for, which wouldn't have been done without his discovery of the leaking pipe. And he wouldn't have discovered the leaking pipe if not for the ghost. Well, let's go to Nogales, a place that I've stayed, the Guavave Mission. Guavave is a name derived from the Pima word. Guavavia, meaning big well or big spring. The settlement of Pima Indians was first visited in January 1691 by Jesuit fathers Kino and Zavaltiera. And they established it as a mission, naming it San Gabriel de Guavave. Subsequent missionaries called it San Rafael and San Miguel, resulting in the common historical name of Los Santos uh, Angeles de Guavave. Now, the mission originally sat on land owned by the Wingfield family. Ranch headquarters is a sprawling collection of courtyards interconnecting rooms that's located on a hill overlooking the corrals and two lakes. It's such a peaceful setting that one of Ralph Wingfield's close friends, John Wayne, the Duke, spent many a vacation in the cool of the Guavave courtyards. In fact, the current owner believes he encountered the spirit of John Wayne, still enjoying the peace and quiet of this historic ranch. When we stayed there, we were the only ones in our wing. And yet I heard someone wearing spurs, mind you, come in, stop outside our door, and walk down the hallway, turn to John Wayne suite. And there was nothing else that he could have gotten into except the John Wayne suite in the direction in which those spurs went. Never did uh, find out who was walking around. Wayne liked to smoke unfiltered Lucky Strikes, and on several occasions the current owners encountered the unmistakable odor of unfiltered cigarettes in the John Wayne suite. What was in the corral? Maybe the Duke is just checking on the state of the old ranch, a place he once loved and enjoyed. Ralph Wingfield walked away from this beautiful place when his spirit was broken by tragedy. In the space of one year, he lost a grandson in the waters of the lake on the property. His wife and his best friend, John Wayne, died uh, of cancer. Too much, and this proud man walked away from a place reminded him of such misery. Now it's a bed and breakfast, and I highly recommend it. 1701, Guavavi was established as a district headquarters, and Juan de San Martin was assigned as the first resident priest. A small church was started that same year. Father Martin left in uh, 1703. Father's uh, Augustin de Campos and Louis Javier Vavardi visited occasionally after that. Father Grasshopper in 1732 established Guavavia's cabecera and completed the church. Unfortunately, he died the next year, 
believed he was probably poisoned. Father Garucho, resident priest from 1745 to 1751, recorded 148 burials, many from disease. 1751, Father Garucho contracted um, the building of a 15-foot by 50-foot church, the ruins of which can still be seen today. First captain of the Tubac Presidio, Juan Tomas de Balderain, was wounded by Sierra Indians and died at Guapavi. His body lies buried beneath the altar steps of the church. And the mother of Captain Juan Batista de Anza, Balderain's replacements also buried in front of the altar. The Pima Revolt of 1751 and later Apache Raids, disease removal of Jesuits in 1767, caused much disruption to mission life. The first Franciscan, one Chrysostomo Gildi Bernabe, arrived in 1768 and began the mission with about 50 families. Unfortunately, the Apaches attacked in 1769 and killed all but two of the few Spanish soldiers guarding the mission. 1770 and 1771, the Apaches continued their attacks and the Cabecera was moved to uh, Tumacacori. While Antonio de los Reyes on July 6, 1772, submitted a report on the condition of the missions in the Upper and Lower Primaria Alta. This was his report on Los Santos Angeles de Guavavi, as translated by uh, Father Kieran McCarthy. He said, The village of Guavavi is situated in an open and fertile plain beside an arroyo with good land where the Indians cultivate their individual fields of wheat, Indian corn, other crops, and one small community farm. Church on the inside is adorned with two altars and a small side chapel with paintings and gilded frames. In the sacristy are three chalices, two dishes with cruets, one pricks, a ciborium, a censer, and a baptismal shell, all made out of silver. Vestments of every kind and color and other adornments for the altar and divine services. According to the census book, which I have here before me, there are 19 married couples, five widowers, six widows, Twelve orphans, and the number of which, and uh, all, should be sixty-eight. Well, Gavavi was abandoned for the last time in seventeen seventy-five. After sitting forlornly abandoned since the seventeen seventies, Gavavi's ruins were added to the Kumakakori National Historical Park in nineteen ninety. And Ralph Wingfield, a local rancher, donated the ruins to the New Mexico Archaeological Conservancy, which in turn donated it to the National Park Service. Number of stories about hidden treasure around the old mission and number of ghosts sighted near the old mission ruins. There's been the ghost of a conquistador at the main entrance who's uh, possibly the spirit of the first captain of the Tubac Presidio, Juan Tomas de Balderain, as well as several robed monks and a number of Indians have been seen around the, uh, the mission. No doubt the old mission of Guavavi is not abandoned, but it's still populated with those who are doomed to spend eternity within and around its walls. Then we go to Oatman, the Oatman Hotel. Originally built in 1902 as the Durland Hotel, this historical hotel has been destroyed once during a fire in 1924 and rebuilt. It's also where Clark Gable and Carol Lombard spent their wedding night, March 29, 1939. They stayed in room 15. Over the years, this old hotel has carried a number of names, but was changed to the Oakman Hotel in the 1960s. When Route 66 was replaced with the interstate, Oakman again suffered a devastating blow and 
dwindled to just a few gift shops and restaurants. Today, only about a hundred people live in Oatman year-round. And the Oatman Hotel is one of the biggest attractions of the small village, as the word of its mischievous ghost spread far and wide. First and foremost, ghosts are said to be those of Clark Gable and Carol Lombard, who evidently had so many fine memories of the old hotel, they simply refused to leave. Continuing to celebrate, guests and staff often heard the pair whispering and laughing from the room when it's empty. According to one report, when a professional photographer took a picture of the empty room, the ghostly figure of a man appeared in developed print. That man looked amazingly like Clark Gable. Evidently, Clark and Carol aren't alone, though, as there are other spirits that reportedly haunt the old hotel. Second-floor houses at the Theater Room Museum, where distinct outlines of sleeping bodies have been found in the dust on the beds. On closer inspection, none of the surrounding area appears to be disturbed. Staff suspects the sleeping spirits out of a former chambermaid who has often been spotted in that particular room. Another guest room is also said to be haunted by an Irish miner who once lived there. Distraught because his family died while on their way to America, he had a habit of heavy drinking. And one night he got really carried away with the heavy drinking and passed out behind the hotel. Never woke up. Said he has haunted his old room in the hotel ever since. Staff refers to this particular ghost as Odie, who's often heard playing his bagpipe around the hotel. Other common pranks include opening the window in his former room and pulling the covers off the bed. Also been reports that... Uh, of this room being very cold in the midst of a hot desert day, and I can tell you from experience, it can get extremely hot in parts of Arizona. Downstairs in the saloon, it appears there are several playful spirits at work there as well. They've been said to lift money off the bar and raise glasses into the air. Other strange phenomena include lights turning on and off, seemingly by themselves, the sound of eerie voices, toilets that flush and empty bathrooms, and Footprints that appeared from nowhere on recently cleaned floors. Luckily for the open hotel, it seems as if these their bevy of unusual guests are the playful, friendly type and don't make a habit of scaring away the guests. Then we have Oracle. The Arcadia Ranch at Oracle was built by Edwin and Lillian Dodge about 1880. They planned on raising sheep. Later became a guest ranch and hotel. First US, U.S. post office was established at the Arcadia in 1880. Later a bathhouse was added and the Arcadia became a sanitarium for tuberculosis patients. We referred to Oracle for its clean, fresh air and pleasant climate. One of the ghosts is a nurse who contracted the disease herself and died. She was still trying to take care of people. There's another there that dislikes, dislikes things hung on the north wall of the main room. There was artwork hung on that wall. In the evening, when the caretaker left, it'd be on the wall, and the next morning, be on the floor. Eventually, everyone gave in to the ghost. Then in Phoenix, we've got the Arizona State Prison Complex, the so-called Flamenco Unit. One of 13 prison facilities operated by the Arizona Department of Corrections. Arizona State um, Prison Complex, Phoenix, is located in Phoenix, Maricopa County, Arizona. Includes a minimum security unit near Globe, the Arizona Correctional Facility for Women, and the 
as PC Aspen. Now, the Phoenix Complex is a unique facility within the department. Four of its units are on the grounds of the Arizona State Hospital and leased through the Department of Health Services. There are Alhambra Reception and Treatment Center that opened in 1979 and handles all incoming male inmates. Reception has a design capacity of 207. Now, the 40 beds are in B Ward, the treatment center. 30 beds designated for resident workers. Other units are Aspen DWI, 200-bed facility, which opened in 1983 for adult males and incarcerated under the state uh, driving while intoxication law. Flamingo Mental Health Center, a licensed 105-bed psychiatric hospital for adult males that opened in 1985, and Flamingo Health Center for Women, a licensed 20-bed behavioral hospital for adult females that opened in 1990. Two other units are separated geographically but considered part of the Phoenix Complex. One, the Arizona Center for Women at 32nd Street in East Van Buren is a designated capacity of 250. Opened in 1979, originally under a lease agreement, now owned by the department. The other is ASP Globe, a 150-bed prison for adult males. It was originally the Peel Mountain Juvenile Institution. They got it in 1991. Flamingo Unit was built in 1920 and used for years as a division of the state hospital. It's now used to hold uh, house inmates with mental health issues. Numerous patients and inmates have died at the facility over the years, but now at night, if you sit quietly and listen, you can hear keys rattle. Most officers think another officer's entered the area and find that nobody's there and everybody's accounted for on other units. None the woman is seen in the female unit library. Doors open and close on their own, and very often extra inmates are counted. Of course, when they recheck the count, they're, they're not there. It's not unusual to undercount the number and need to recount, but with inmates locked in their rooms, it's very difficult to count one twice. You can miss someone who's in a non-visible corner, but extra inmates just don't happen. Then we got the Billington House, and the youngest daughters reported almost all the sightings at this particular facility. Heard footsteps and people talking while she's been home alone. She's seen a glowing figure of a person with one arm standing on the second floor window of her playhouse. She said it stood motionless and she only saw it at night. But she did see it three nights in a row. Told her dad one night and he looked out the window by her bed through the treehouse directly where she said it was standing and didn't see a thing. On the fourth night, there was no such person in the treehouse as if it had never been there at all. This same child was awoken in the night and looked out her window to see a man in a long black coat and a hat standing on her patio. Said she would close her eyes for no more than a second, and when she opened it, the man was gone. And something that I'm sure a lot of us can identify with, she's also seen a woman looking at her and smiling at her from inside her closet. I grew up in a house, the original parts built in 1815. We were always seeing and hearing strange things. Then we have the San Carlos Hotel. I stayed there. The land on which the San Carlos Hotel is built has long been important to the city of Phoenix. On this particular spot, Native Americans once worshipped their god of wisdom. It's also on this spot where the first schoolhouse in Phoenix was constructed in 1874. 1879, that original Warren Room School building was replaced by a two-story brick building with a bell tower. 
Same time the original schoolhouse was built, a well was dug that happened to correspond with the center of an energy vortex held sacred by the Indians. That well still exists in the basement of the San Carlos Hotel. The hotel was built in 1928. Along with all the history that surrounds this historical hotel, there are also several ghosts that seem content to spend eternity wandering the halls of this elegant hotel. The most famous, of course, is the ghost of a young woman who's believed to have committed suicide. Her name was Leona Jensen. She's 22, believed to have jumped from the roof of the seventh floor in 2.45 a.m. May 7, 1928. You can find that story in the Arizona Republic. Bodies found on the Monroe Street side of the hotel and believed death was instantaneous. Her remains were taken to... Merriman's Mortuary, if anyone wants to follow up. And though a scream has been heard by a guest in the hotel as Miss Jensen leaped to her death, the way in which she fell is very extraordinary. She didn't land in a heap. Her body was in a very neat position as she'd laid down on the sidewalk to sleep. Wearing a very smart evening gown of the very best material, shoes were some of the best available at the time. And it would also appear she had money, though only five cents was found on her body when they Authorities uh, checked her. Time of her death, Miss Jensen had been at the San Carlos only two days, having come there from another hotel in town. Two death notes were found in a room in uh, which she was registered, room 720. One of these, she mentioned a bellboy at another hotel. I believe she had a romance with this young man, but she caught him in the arms of another woman. Second note asked that Mr. Jack Edwards, an undertaker in Los Angeles, be notified of her death so he could make the arrangements for her body. And other than being rejected by the bellboy, she was said to have had a romance with. Uh, there was no reason for her suicide that anybody could determine. Now, there was rumors she was pregnant with the bellboy. Since that time, the window of room 720 can't be opened, though there have been many reports of a flowery scent being detected throughout the room as well as the hallway. Many guests have also reported seeing her gown float in the room, and many have smelled the perfume that she wore. Some have even heard her cry and moan in the early hours of the morning. Leona Jensen isn't the only ghost to make the San Carlos her home. Many guests have heard the running footsteps and laughter of young boys who are believed to have attended Central Elementary School that stood on that spot now occupied by the San Carlos. Then we have the Tapatio Cliffs Resort, also known as the Point Hilton. Sits on top of the dramatic peaks of the Phoenix, uh, the, the Phoenix North Mountains, just uh, 20 minutes from the Sky Harbor Airport. The reports the main ballroom is haunted by a drunk man who went at a wedding reception about 20 years ago. Reportedly walked up to the cliffs right behind the ballroom and fell headfirst off the edge. Died, of course. Told by a couple of security guards there, the spirit of this unhappy man haunts the boy of the room. Nobody's allowed down there after midnight. You never know what you're going to find when you wander around a place like this. Then in Prescott, Arizona, we got the Hasayapa Inn, built in 1927. Prescott had been a territorial capital since 1864, and the demand for hotel rooms was high. A new moon couple checked into the hotel shortly after it opened. They were put in room 426 and seemed a very happy couple. However, one evening, the 
Husband went out with cigarettes, never came back. The new bride, whose name is known only as Faith, kept a vigil for her husband for several days before committing suicide by hanging. Among her belongings were her clothes and an unpaid bill. Apparently, when he walked out, he left her with no money. Now she haunts the scene of her demise, making room 426 the most haunted room in the hotel. But it's far from being the only haunted room in the hotel. Former managers had a number of encounters with a female spirit when she lived in room 2. Spirit would disturb her almost every night, so she finally moved to another room and the disturbance has stopped. One of the maids encountered something unusual every time she go to clear room 27. Reported a male presence would follow her around the room as she cleaned. His attention was making her feel very uncomfortable. I guess if a ghost was following me, I'd feel a little uncomfortable as well. Then there's a presence in room 19 that would spend a great deal of time each day sweeping the hardwood floor in the room. The sound of the broom on the floor was so loud it could be heard in the office directly below. Room 402, the two guests reported they secured the door with the Do Not Disturb sign on the outside. And in spite of three locks, they woke up during the night twice to find the door open and that Do Not Disturb sign on the inside knob. Guest in room 426 reported he'd felt a presence in the room that seemed to be watching him. Finally, he fell asleep to awaken to the sensation of arms around him. When he sat up, the sensation ceased, but his girlfriend, asleep on the other side of the bed, hadn't been the one to put her arms around him. Maintenance worker in the hallway saw Faith come down the hall wearing a pink gown and disappear into the room. But when he followed her into the room, it was empty. No sign ever. And there are stories of a small girl spirit haunting the kitchen. She'll cut the gas burners off and own at odd times and generally causes chaos. One evening in the front desk got a call from room 449. However, during the renovation, room 449 was merged into another room and no longer existed. I've gotten calls like that when I worked uh, at a company here. It was a big warehouse. I'd go in at four in the morning because I was always working with uh, the East Coast, which is, of course, two hours ahead of us. And quite often I'd get a phone call and my, uh, my extension would tell me where it was coming from. And it was coming from the office right beside where a man had died on his machine 20 or 30 years before. He was taken into that office. Uh, he had a heart attack, and he was taken into that office while they called for uh, medical help. He died before they could arrive. But since that time, that office has um, had cold spots. Uh, figures have been seen in it when there's nobody there. And, of course, I got, would get a call every morning. It's also the story of the night watchman, a spirit who materialized in the bar area and make a complete circuit of all the downstairs drawers to jiggle the knob to make sure they're locked. Once he makes his rounds and knows that all is secure, he'll fade away. And of course, we have the well-known Hotel Vendome. The best-known spirit to inhabit this historic hotel is Abigail Bear, said to have died in room 16 in 1921. There are actually several versions of the story about Abigail. In one, she was the owner who lost the hotel due to taxes, and in another, she was the manager. But most seem to believe that she and her husband were probably tenants. Abigail said to have been ill with tuberculosis and spent most of her time in bed in room 16 with her cat, Noble. 
and the husband spent his time caring for his ailing wife. One night, her condition worsened, and her husband went out to get medicine and never came back. Abigail locked herself in the room and refused to either come out or even eat. Eventually, it's believed both she and Noble died of starvation. There was some time before the bodies were discovered. Noble was buried in the backyard of the hotel, and Abby was taken out to Potter's Field. Well, the ghost of Abigail Bear began to appear after World War II. And since her first appearance, there's been a great deal of activity. The television set, the ceiling fans, and the lights will flip on and off. Faucets in the bathroom turn on and off, and small puddles of water mysteriously appear about the room. Another guest have heard what sounds like a cat scratching on the inside of the closet door trying to get out. But whenever they look, there's nothing in the closet. Others have heard a cat meowing or purring loudly from the area around the bed. A stuffed white cat that was part of the room's furnishings was moved from the bed to a chair by the guest. Next morning, that stuffed cat was found curled up on the floor as if it was asleep. There have been reports of personal items or inside suitcases being found scattered around the room. Hauntings were confined to this room 16. Guests in room 10 witnessed a figure walk through their door in the early hours of the morning. Noble the cat's been known to go from room 16 to room 17. One occasion when this was thought to have happened, a guest in room 17 who had an allergy to cat hair suffered an allergy attack. Abby and her cat Noble began to make their presence known, uh, as I said, after World War II and have continued to this day. While they generally confined her activities to room 16, she's been known to venture out to check on the living. Current owners have a large binder with holes information, sightings, and manifestations of Abby and Noble. Some of the occurrences that have happened inside room 16 include the closet hangers have been heard moving by themselves, and the sound of a cat toy being played with can be heard. Guests have experienced objects being moved and not looking, being touched softly by unseen presences, uh, hearing or feeling Noble or Abby sitting on the bed, smelling a strong perfume, and feeling a cool, gentle breeze blow past them in the room. And Abby will occasionally make a visual appearance and spoken to guests when they're in a sleep state. Spirit orbs have been uh, photographed in the dark in room 16 by psychic researchers Dr. Austin and Dr. Gill. Outside room 16, footsteps have been heard, which travel out the door and down the hall and descend down to the stairs to the lobby. Maids, while cleaning up the various rooms, sometimes have the TV on while they work. It reported Abby will turn down the sound on the TV if she doesn't like the program being watched, uh, listened to, or but will turn the sound back up if the living will switch channels. And she hates MTV. And above the entrance to the Vendome, spirit entities have been seen in various forms. Then let's go to the Lynch, the Lynx Creek Farm Bed and Breakfast, located in a somewhat secluded location, just a short, short drive from Prescott. This Montana lodgepole cabin has two beautifully decorated guest rooms with king-size beds and private baths with tubs and showers. Guest Towers has two guest rooms that, are, that have wood stoves and private baths, but both of the rooms are open into a, a large deck and hot tub. Lower cabin uh, guest rooms have king-size beds, in-room coffee, and private baths. Guests are reported feeling cold spots and have experienced the feeling of not being alone. Most agree there's a definite presence in the room. 
and the portrait in the room doesn't help uh, since the eyes seem to follow you whenever you go about the room. Well, then we have the exciting town of Tombstone, the Buford House. When I first went to Tombstone, well over a decade ago, it wasn't as sophisticated as today. There are now several hotels as well as a number of bed and breakfast establishments, and one of these is the Buford House Bed and Breakfast. Built in 1880, it was an adobe home listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The house was named after George Buford, who was a prominent mine owner at that time. This house had been home to two sheriffs, a mayor, a state senator, various other people of local fame, as well as none other than John Wayne, the Duke. Like much of Tombstone, this adobe house seems to be haunted by restless spirits. There's a strange light that's been reported being seen in, outside the upstairs bedroom uh, from when people inside have seen it. But when they check, there's no outside source for it. The guest staying in that room saw an apparition of an old lady in the room who looks real enough. The guest informed her she was in the wrong room and would have to go. Spirit told the guest this was her room and the guest had to leave. Well, there's no record of how this standoff ended, but uh, it is rare that the ghost loses. Guess it comes down to first come, first serve, and the ghost has been in the room longer. Lavender scent's also been smelled in the house. Maybe that came from the uh, old woman. The story of the old woman didn't surprise the owners, the Allens, as it was reported that the previous owners had reported seeing this spirit. There's another uh, playful ghost that likes to play hide-and-seek with items. They tell one instance when a woman was visiting with her family and her wallet was suddenly missing from her purse. The unfortunate guest and her family searched and searched and never could find that missing wallet. Finally, they decided to try again before leaving and their surprise found it under the bed with the money, cards, and everything intact. They were all sure the wallet wasn't under the bed when they searched for the first time, but it was there now. And the Allens who run the inn have also witnessed another ghost that haunts the place. The spirit of George Davis is reported to have appeared one holiday season to admire the Christmas tree as it was setting up. According to legend, George Davis had lived in the house long ago and was in love with a girl by the name of uh, Pietra, who uh, her real name was uh, Cleopatra Ed Edmonds. She lived across the street, and he seemed to be fairly active around the house, pulling small pranks such as turning lights on and off, ringing the doorbell at three in the morning, and no one's ever there when the Allens go and check, and rapping on walls or windows. According to the story of George Davis, at about 2 p.m. on Friday, April 13, 1888, passed on 3rd Street near Sanford saw George Davis chasing Cleopatra Edmonds, the 17-year-old daughter of Eugene Edmonds and a Mexican mother. What attracted their attention was not the fact he was chasing her, but the fact that he was firing at her with a six-shooter. Apparently, he wasn't in a real good wasn't a real good shot because he only managed to hit her in the shoulder with one of the shots. At this point, apparently, thinking he'd killed her, he then put the gun to his own head and fired one shot. He was successful with that one. He died within minutes. Amazingly enough, Pietra survived her wound, making a full recovery. Later investigation revealed the cause of his altercation had been jealousy. George Davis had been courting Miss Edmonds for months. 
The two were not formally engaged, but George believed they had an understanding. However, he was a miner and had been gone to his claim in Casa Grande for some weeks. When he came back, he found somebody else was courting Miss Edmonds in his place. So the two, of course, had a quarrel. On the other shooting, Miss Edmonds had been in the company of Mr. Fred Stone, the man who'd been courting her in the absence of Mr. Davis. Two of them had occasion to pass in front of Mr. Davis's father's house, where Mr. Davis was in visiting. Davis spotted him and came running out of the house, waving his pistol. Miss Edmonds' scream began to run toward her own home, while Stone, rather than try to defend Miss Edmonds, had taken off running toward the center of town in the sheriff's office. Well, of the two, Davis ran after Miss Edmonds and fired the shot that struck her in the back. Unlike others who died tragic deaths, George continues to walk the earth, apparently lost in space and time. And both the owners and the guests at the Buford house have seen him walking inside the house as well as along the street in front of the old adobe structure. If anyone approaches him, he'll just fade away or walk quickly out of sight into the shadows. Other phenomena involved the doorbell ringing in the middle of the night of its own accord. Others who reported hearing knocking on walls and faucets turning himself on and off and strange lights appearing uh, inside the rooms. Once in a while, women report that they felt somebody touch their hair or stroke the back of their necks when nobody else is around. There are no records to indicate that Wyatt Earp or any of his brothers or the Clantons or McLaurys stayed there. The house is too respectable for them as they frequently staying in the on the main strip of town with its honky-tonks and bars. Upstairs bedrooms are filled with antiques. Each room has a theme. The wicker, Victorian, and western bedrooms share two bathrooms, but have sinks in each room. The Nellie Cashman, named for the woman who readily gave food, shelter, or money to people down under her luck, has a private bath. Downstairs is the garden room that has a gas log fireplace. Private entrance and private bathroom with a Original sunken tile concrete bathtub. Home has a wonderful charm that you notice once you enter the door. Wooden stairway that leads you up to the upper floor rooms and wooden armoires holding antiques as you enter. According to all reports, the owners, Ruth and Richard Allen, are the most accommodating folks you can find. They're gracious and hospitable and make you feel as though their home is yours. And although Miss Allen feels there are no malevolent or evil spirits in the house, she feels she does need to protect it. Thus, she has to. She has placed rosary beads at the bottom of the stairs. Well, on that note, we've come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. When once again, you'll be listening to the tales of Ken Hudnall on the Ken Hudnall Show. Until then, have a truly great evening.